0: I talk a lot about how important it is to measure data points that are going to help you navigate within your organization. I talk a lot about that from the positive impacts of what that measurement can give you. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about how the selection of the metrics that you use to judge your effectiveness or your success or the direction of your team or your organization can have some negative consequences. As well. We've talked in other episodes about volunteer metrics and how we can develop a better way of measuring what really matters. And today we're going to explore a little bit about what happens when you measure something that either doesn't really matter or actually measures the wrong thing. And it creates incentives to pursue destructive behaviors instead of positive constructive behaviors. Financial metrics aren't always the thing that get you the most excited, I think this conversation is so critical because without the right funding being put towards the most effective places, we can't accomplish things we're trying to do as nonprofits. So I hope you enjoy today's episode, even though it does touch on what can be sometimes considered either a dry topic or maybe a taboo one in the nonprofit world. So enjoy it. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, the podcast where we explore the human side of analytics to amplify the impact of nonprofits and social enterprises. With me, your host, Alexandra Mannering. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Thad. And I know that I'm probably more excited about this topic than maybe you are, but I think we're going to have a really great conversation today. So Thad, to get started, do you mind introducing yourself?
1: Sure. My name is Thad Calabres. I'm an associate professor at the Robert F. Wagner Graduate School of Public Service at New York University. I teach all sorts of courses on financial management in government, nonprofit, and healthcare organizations. I came to this, to this world, to this job, what however you want to describe it. I came to it later. Um, in life, than many academics. I, I got my MPA degree also from, from the Wagner School, and I worked in city government in the uh, New York City Office of Management and Budget. Then I went and I worked as a consultant uh, at a consulting firm where, where we worked with nonprofit organizations working on financial management. I had worked in the nonprofit sector before graduate school. It was during that time that I realized there was a huge need for financial managers in the sector and that that there was a real problem. My idealistic story, which always sounds really bizarre when I say it out loud, is I I decided to go back to graduate school to get a PhD and do it full-time as a professor because I figured it would be better to train more financial managers than try to be the financial manager of a few organizations. So that's my background in a minute and a half.
0: <laughs> I love it. And and teaching really is a great amplifier. You can take your skills and apply them, or you can teach those skills to other people and they all get to apply them. And it has a, a wonderful snowball effect. I really do appreciate that you come to academia from the quote unquote real world. As a PhD myself, I, I definitely appreciate that academics can be a little bit uh, insulated sometimes from real world challenges.
1: The one thing I will say, even though it's harder to be an academic to go back later in life than earlier in life, my opinion is that the academics, and there are many in, in public administration and nonprofit studies who have worked and then gone back and gotten a PhD, that they tend to have research interests and research questions that are very grounded in reality importance that they tend to have engagement with the sectors that they research in to an extent that many who have Mm -hmm. just gone through a a program without having um, worked in the sector do not have so i do think especially in these applied fields there is a real benefit
0: agreed on all points yes it's a critical (laughs) thing i agree that there is an advantage to it and and it's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down on another day (laughs) the discussion that we're gonna have today is really looking at that financial management side from a data lens. How do we look at this from the data point of view? And one of the things that you and I talked about in our first conversation was that the way that historically we have measured financial success of nonprofits maybe has not been the best. We tend to report and rank on things like overhead ratios. So can we talk a little bit about what's the problem with how we've traditionally measured financial success for and performance of nonprofits
1: sure one of the theories on why nonprofits exist is that they produce services that are difficult to measure and so nonprofits because they don't exist to maximize profit and enrich owners that they that they are therefore more trustworthy because donors or or clients will be less concerned um, that that they will be skimping on inputs to maximize profits, and so they are more trustworthy than for-profit uh, entities. I, I may not be saying everything 100% correctly, trying to summarize, you know, 40 or 50 years of literature. So the the nonprofit economists that are listening can can email me and tell me how I'm. <laughs> short shifting but that's the general gist of it. Then the, the other issue is that because there's been no way to measure what nonprofits do, there was this idea that people who donate to nonprofits or who are stakeholders with nonprofits needed something to be able to hold the nonprofits accountable. And so um, for decades, nonprofits have been required To report on their expenses, um, not just on the nature of their expenses, the line items that they spend money on, things like salaries and rent and things like that, but also on if their spending was devoted to program services or if the spending went to overhead. And overhead would be management in general. People like myself, when I worked in the sector, would be considered overhead because I was a financial manager and fundraising the idea was that the more you spent on programs the better you were meeting that trustworthiness because you were not spending money on unimportant things like accounting and IT and and things like that when you see commercials and mailings where it says 95 cents of every dollar you give goes directly to helping our clients or children in need or whatever the service is, it's referring to the program service ratio. And so what happened was, it was basically became used as a measure of efficiency, although it's not really a measure of efficiency, which I'm happy to talk about, but it became a shorthand for a measure of efficiency. And so the, the less you spent on overhead, the more efficient you were deemed and, and the more worthy of trust you were you were entitled to. As a result, if you incentivize behavior, you will get more of it. And and the incentive here was to minimize overhead. And so nonprofits responded by doing two things. One was they would actually spend less on overhead. So they would, instead of investing in financial systems or IT systems, they would instead spend it on programs, which May make programs less effective. It may actually make the programs less efficient, and it certainly makes it more difficult to report on those programs. The second, be incentivizes and nonprofits allocate spend may have better been categorized as overhead would have been categorized as program spending. So if you have joint costs, you have a mailer that's part education, part fundraising. You're supposed to allocate it. Between the two, you're given a choice on how you allocate it. So you have an incentive to allocate more to programs because you will be rewarded with more trust and more resources. This has led nonprofits to underinvest in their organizational infrastructure. They call it the starvation cycle where nonprofits are basically unable to invest in their infrastructure, which is necessary for reporting and for evaluation purposes. There's some good articles, some recent ones, for example, by Jesse Lisi and Elizabeth Searing. So the long and the short of it is because we lacked measures of what nonprofits were doing, we created a measure that does not necessarily incentivize behavior that we want nonprofits to engage in. I I once had a, a colleague who taught performance management and measurement. Um, He said something that stuck with me, which was sometimes having a bad measure is worse than having no measure at all. And in fact, I would argue in the nonprofit sector, we've had a terrible measure that has resulted in, in really terrible outcomes as a result.
0: Isn't that true, though? You do the things that your measures point towards having a bad measure means you're pointed towards really bad behaviors and i i really resonate with what you said about we call this a measure of efficiency but it's not actually at all because efficiency is how well you can get your job done and what we're saying here is not actually getting the job done just how much money did you spend on a program
1: Correct. Yeah. Efficiency is really about your inputs relative to your outputs or or your outcomes. This is really just how much of your inputs were devoted to one type of input. So there's no input-output or input-outcome measurement going on at all. And as a result, it's not a real measure of efficiency there have been folks who who have pointed that out. There's some good articles. Jason Coupe, for example, he's a faculty member at Georgia State. He's done some papers on this that point that out. George Mitchell and myself have a couple of papers that point this out as well.
0: What would be a better way for us to evaluate financial performance of nonprofits? We talk a little bit about efficiency, at least as a step in the right direction. We haven't done a good job defining metrics because we just didn't, so we created this really bad one. What could we do moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think that's the million-dollar question. The reality is that the notion that that we can't measure some of these activities of nonprofits has potentially changed over time because of technology. Mm -hmm. We have to make an effort to actually think about service efforts and accomplishments of nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So rather than having goals that have no clear measures of what the organization is going to accomplish, that we really need to move towards having those measures. You want nonprofits to improve outcomes of some population or some group whether it's members of the nonprofit or clients of the nonprofit or whatever, whoever the nonprofit serves, at a minimum, we should be asking nonprofits to, to start with trying to measure outputs. It's easier said than done. If, if it were easy, it would have already been done. So I, I understand that. Part of the problem is that we have a structure that does not in, in any way, shape or form incentivize this. Nonprofits have no reason to move in this direction as long as they are evaluated on the program service ratio or the overhead ratio, which is just the inverse of that. Um, There's no incentive to do that. Now, there has been an acknowledgement by many that, for example, some of the intermediaries who oversee nonprofits and and evaluate how well they do, that this ratio is not fundamentally a great measure. But what seems to keep happening is that even as the overall culture of these intermediaries is starting to soften, nonprofits themselves seem to refuse to give up this myth that the overhead ratio is important. And they keep using it in their solicitations and, and in selling what they do to the public. Frankly, we do need nonprofits to first start thinking about what it is they do, what services they provide, how they're going to measure those efforts, and then how they're going to also measure and track the efforts and the accomplishments of the organization. And all of that takes, surprise, surprise, overhead. It takes infrastructure for data collection, for data management, for data analysis. It involved not just computers and software, but other technology that might be able to track staff time, that might be able to track clients, that might be able to track usage of staff time between programs, that might be able to actually pay for people who understand this stuff and pay them a wage that is fair and not poverty level wages, so you don't get the best data analysts. All of this actually will require a shift in in mindset. There are probably some funders who are willing to change. There are some who are not. And and so to some extent, we have to focus on the ones who who are willing to change. But there's a whole host of of funders who do want to think differently about nonprofits. There are funders whether they're wealthy philanthropists or institutions that want to move more towards impact investing. And certainly some folks may have issues. um, I'm not saying it's a cure-all, but impact investors are basically pushing for some of what I'm talking about, where there's some recognition of You know, where these folks or these institutions can place their money and get the most bang for their buck. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, some of where impact investors are putting their money is not in traditional nonprofit organizations, it is instead in hybrid organizations, Mm -hmm. whether they're social enterprises, Or, I should say before I even start talking about this, I have no legal training. I do not understand most of this stuff, but there are these different legal forms that some organizations are starting to take, not just limited liability corporations, but limited profit companies, things like that. These new organizational forms or the expansion of these forms show that there is this demand for organizations that can. Produce information on service efforts, accomplishments, impact that many nonprofits are unable to, and some are unwilling to provide.
0: This idea of saying you have to start with what do you exist to do, I think is such a critical question. And at the same time, it's so easy to miss. Why are you actually an in existence what are you trying to do what is your goal and forcing organizations to actually measure that means they have to be very clear on what they're trying to do and that's a big important thing for a nonprofit not just from a data point of view but just in existence and once you can say this is why i'm here this is what we're trying to do and you can put that defined outcome on it then it does become easier to say here's how we're going to measure that because you've defined it for the maybe for the first time when you talk about impact investing basically what you're saying is we want to put our dollars towards the things that achieve these outcomes the best and so instead of our overhead cost now we're saying okay for every dollar that i give you how much outcome do i get not just how many programs do i get but actually how much change Do I get? And I think it might be important to explicitly define the difference between outputs and outcomes.
1: Sure. Outputs are those things that you create through your programs or through your services. So it might be the number of clients you house, or it might be the number of apartments you maintain, whatever it is your organization does. But fundamentally, your organization doesn't exist to house clients or maintain a certain amount of apartments, it's to create some larger change. So outcomes might be number of clients who have transitioned from unemployment or homelessness or whatever the condition is to Mm -hmm. being housed to employment or whatever it is over some length of time so that it's more of a longer term Um, impact. The output one is more of a short-term to medium-term, and the outcome one is more of a long-term.
0: I always like to think of it from the point of view of the output is the job training class that you held and how many people attended it, and then the outcome is somebody who's happily and long-term employed, and they are self-sustaining, that you've actually made a change in in a life or in a community.
1: The question of what is it that your organization does, again, that may seem like management 101. And it's not meant to be demeaning or belittling to say that's a really important thing. One of the things I remember when I was working in organizations, and it, there's so much need and the budget constraints are real in the nonprofit sector. So to some extent that the reality is it's not just for nonprofits, for everything that you, there's never enough money to do everything you want to do. Mm-hmm. And what that tends to mean nonprofits end up doing is Rather than trying to limit what it is they do, they tend to chase money from anything that is even remotely adjacent to what they do as an organization. Mm -hmm. That may make sense in the short term because it allows you to reach more clients or to provide more program services to the people you want. But what that manages to do over time is it, it can lead you into a mission drift where you're now doing a bunch of programs that are only tangentially related to what it is you did or why you started the organization and the reason you're there is because you started chasing grants or contracts mm-hmm. in that area and 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 then that brought you down this road to where you are today and and you see that all the time in the nonprofit sector and it's totally understandable given the financial realities of the sector but to your point having that idea of this is what we do. And that can change over time. But having it change over time deliberately is different. And I would argue better than changing over time, because that's where the money was. And you were just chasing the money. Rarely have I seen a nonprofit that chased the money and ended up um, somewhere better. Well, they, they may have more programs, they may have a larger budget, but it doesn't mean that they're being more effective in what it is they want to do. Even if you can't measure the effectiveness, you get the sense that the services aren't, you know, meeting their expectation either in quality and quantity, whatever it is.
0: Asking that question and saying, you know, "Why are you here?" also changes the frame where we're saying we're not asking you what you do, right? we're saying why, right? The, and that again is the shift from the output to the outcome. So we're right. saying you should define yourself by the outcome. And when you do that, when you've defined yourself by that outcome, it allows you, like you said, to deliberately grow and modify the outputs that you do, but always in service of that outcome.
1: Right, you I, know, that, that's a great way of putting it, yes. It seems very existential, which is fine. I was a philosophy major <laughs> as an undergrad, so I'm okay with that conversation. But I think it's an important question that we've gotten away from in the sector in many ways. I think the way you phrase it is perfect. The why are you here? Why do you do what you do? It gets lost in the day-to-day. I, I, I won't put the blame all on, on the service providers, funders inadequately fund overhead, for example, they will limit it to a very small amount if they give any. There are some that that will give none to overhead. They will assume that their spending is all marginal spending, and therefore they should not have to contribute to the overhead. But they, if every program is marginal, who's paying f- for, the, for all those overhead fixed costs? Mm-hmm. It's really problematic. I think some funders have recognized the problem, but it is certainly not something that has been recognized throughout the philanthropic community enough.
0: I realize that the focus on this overhead, the point is to spend money on programs, that also drives the focus to be on defining yourself by what you do. Correct. And so it is actually a huge sea change to say how we've done this in the past has been to measure outputs to measure the money we spend, the number of programs that we have, and define ourselves by how much we do that quantity. And now we're saying, "Mm -mm." not only should you not be defined by what you do, you should be defined by why you're doing it, you know, the outcome that you want. And so therefore we're gonna measure how successful we are at that outcome. And we need to fund the infrastructure to achieve that outcome. And it becomes not about how successfully did you spend All of your money on this output, but we're going to give money to the one that gets us the most outcome for our dollar. And to your point, that may end up being not a nonprofit. And that I think is kind of a scary thought for some people in the industry to say, well, hang on, wait, you're not going to invest in me, even though this is what we do. Even if I say this is why we exist, but if you say that you can more efficiently achieve this outcome another place and then you're going to fund it somewhere else, talk about existential questions. That's going to bring up some existential angst for some people.
1: Whether organizations and nonprofit managers like it or not, that's the reality that's starting to creep into the sector already. You have these questions of impact and impact investors already emerging and already organizations are being asked to start thinking about this, perhaps in a relatively limited capacity, but it's much more so in the past 10 years than it was before that. Unless you think that this change that's been building over the last decade is suddenly going to reverse itself, this is just something that we're going to have to think about and start changing the culture of the nonprofit sector. We'll have to address the fact that some money that is directed towards some social need may be better spent not in the nonprofit sector, but in in the for-profit sector or in those gray areas between the sectors. And and some folks will no doubt find that to be uncomfortable. Some folks in the nonprofit sector find the nonprofit sector comfortable because it's not the for-profit sector. So as soon as that's introduced, you get into issues of Corporatizing the sector or trying to convert this sector that's supposed to exist to fill different needs than the for profit sector. But then they feel like you're moving it more towards that for profit Mm -hmm. sector and it makes people uncomfortable. But if your concern isn't so much about which sector is providing it, but it's more about the impact or the outcomes of, of where money is being spent, then then this notion of should the money go to the nonprofit versus a for-profit or a different organization becomes less important to you. And that's where I think a lot of of funders, especially younger funders, are finding themselves. They're less interested in which sector are they going to put money into and more of here's a problem I'm concerned about, where can I buy the most impact? Mm -hmm. And so it's already happening whether the nonprofit community likes it or not.
0: It's interesting because the whole commoditization concern happens a lot in healthcare. My background is in public health and I've worked a ton in the healthcare sector. And it is a really interesting discussion where some people are appalled by the concept that you would have any kind of profit associated with the provision of healthcare. It's an interesting thing because they're not saying that they think for profit healthcare is necessarily worse, that people don't do as well. It's the concept that someone would make money off of providing healthcare that's so abhorrent. And it is really interesting because, again, if our focus on is on the outcome and we finally are getting to the point through technology and through a, a culture change where we're measuring that outcome and we can say pretty convincingly and, and accurately, this is how much outcome we get for your dollar. It is a different place to then be talking about, well, then the dollars are going to go where you get the most outcome.
1: It's true. And the notion that profit or other related things that are required to run an organization, some of these things have some resistance in the nonprofit sector historically. So the notion that you should make a profit is by itself in some parts of the nonprofit sector still considered controversial. I'll be quite frank. i openly teach my students that they do need to make a profit, even as a nonprofit organization, if for no other reason that you have to keep your organization's purchasing power sufficient to beat inflation. Otherwise, you're losing money every year. There are some organizations that find even basic notions of financial management to be imposing. I have certainly worked with organizations back in, and again, this was you know, decades ago, but that found accounting systems, modern computerized general ledgers, all of that to be the corporatization of the sector rather than tools that would allow managers to better use the resources of the organization and to manage the organization for better outcomes. This isn't meant to pick on the sector. The sector is very diverse. Folks in some organizations come out of a background that was in great opposition to these concepts. If you think about some of the activist organizations that were founded as grassroots um, advocacy organizations that then got set up as 501c3 organizations, that culture doesn't disappear overnight, nor should it necessarily. Folks like myself have to do a better job explaining why this is important. On the flip side, Those types of organizations that find what we're discussing problematic need to understand that this is already happening. And to some extent, they can say that things are fine the way they are. And they may be fine in some areas, but the impact investors and the philanthropists who want something different clearly feel differently. We should put something on the calendar for like 10 or 15 years from now to (laughs) check back in to see how it's been going. If the movement is towards this and money goes in this direction, then organizations that aren't dealing with it and aren't thinking about it now are going to be either reacting to it in the future or finding themselves just losing money to the point of insolvency neither view is is right or wrong. I don't think that's the right way to be thinking about it. I think it's that some organizations have preferences, some funders have preferences, but right now the preference cascade, to use that term of funders, is not to keep the status quo the way it is. And nonprofits have this culture of not really focusing on service efforts and accomplishments and outputs. We need to be pushing and, and, and changing the culture so that nonprofits who have really good ideas, who have really devoted workers, who are doing really great things in their communities, are able to attract these impact investors and these philanthropists who do want this different type of reporting.
0: I find the same kind of resistance sometimes with the idea of just bringing general data analytics to bear, where somehow I think it feels heartless, like you're trying to reduce something that's done for the love of the community and the people that you're trying to take care of. And you're saying, oh, you want to somehow like reduce this to a number and that that also reduces the meaning and the intrinsic value of that thing. I think that there is Definitely this idea that we're moving away from celebrating just the good intentions of nonprofits and saying, for better or for worse, whatever that outcome, that our goal is changing. That as a culture and as a a national community and probably internationally, that we're saying our goal isn't to just support good intentions. Our goal is to now support change. Right. And in order to support change, you have to see that the change is happening.
1: I think that's an excellent way of putting it. And and especially when you're talking about financial management, where in many cases it's seen as a necessary evil as opposed to a critical management task of, of an organization, whether it's nonprofit or otherwise. Although in for-profits, it's not seen as a necessary evil, it's seen as a really important thing. Anyway, what you just said is exactly right, where people like myself in financial management are are often the the ones who say no. When I worked in the city budget office, the reputation we had was we were the office that said no. Agencies want more money and the budget office says no. no. To some extent, it's because you live and breathe In financial management, the notion of constraints, Mm -hmm. and you know that that, as you said, good intentions aren't enough that you know that if you fund program X, you cannot fund program Y, and you need to make that trade off. There's not a recognition that that trade off exists in many cases in the nonprofit sector. It's, well, why can't you fund X and Y? Well, because we don't have an unlimited budget. If we had an unlimited budget, we wouldn't need financial management. We would just be able to do everything that we wanted. So trying to figure out how to allocate resources is really difficult. And that's why the nonprofit sector. And, and those around it came up with the overhead ratio. It was one way of figuring out how to allocate resources. Mm-hmm. And, and as we discussed, I would say it's not a great way to allocate resources. Mm-hmm. I think we agree that having a sense of the actual impact a nonprofit is making would be a much better way of allocating resources within mm-hmm. the sector or even across sectors because why limit it just to the nonprofit sector? And I think that gets lost a lot of times when you talk about the the unwillingness to adopt data or financial management or any of these techniques in the sector. I think it's losing sight of the fact that we can't fund everything. There is limited resources and and therefore we we do need to make trade-offs. Sometimes we have to say no and sometimes we have to move money to other organizations and sometimes organizations won't survive. And we can certainly have conversations, but that would be for another podcast about how those decisions are made. But right now we, we, for the most part, lack any sense of serious data on how to make those allocation decisions within the nonprofit sector.
0: It's easy to think that because we're not necessarily like having those deliberate conversations that the decisions aren't happening but they are they're just happening either unconsciously or under the table or they're happening without really thinking about optimization towards a goal right they're, we make them because of whoever yells the loudest or whatever's in vogue right. or who whatever celebrity has endorsed this Correct. thing and that's then how we're deciding the allocation of resources I heard a global health um, and development individual talk about, we have, it was like 65 billion that goes into global public health. And he says, we don't view that as a pie that needs to be distributed in the most effective manner. But there are consequences to us not considering how to maximize either years of life saved, quality of life we haven't made a decision about what we're trying to optimize so we're just spending all of this money on these global health programs sort of in the shotgun approach or based on whoever's heartstrings get pulled the hardest and there are consequences to that one of the reasons we don't want to talk about it is that when we say we're going to fund say a, a rotavirus vaccination program and we're not going to fund a solar power program that lives over here are going to be impacted Mm -hmm. because of that decision. But we're still doing that. Those lives are still getting impacted. We just don't want to talk about whose lives we want to maximize the benefit for. And it's uncomfortable conversations, but we're still making those decisions just without data.
1: By definition, those decisions are being made. Are you making decisions that are informed, not at all informed, Or vaguely informed. And I'm not sure where we are right now, but it is somewhere between not and vaguely
0: informed. (laughs) Try to get to vaguely informed in a couple of years.
1: (laughs) That's exactly right. The flip side is this isn't all necessarily doom and gloom for the sector. The reality is, if we could move more towards outcome measurement and outcome funding or impact funding, some of the crazy, inefficient, Ways that we give money to nonprofits and they report on the money would, would, by definition, go away. One of my least favorite aspects of funding for nonprofit organizations is you get a grant or you get a contract from, an, from another organization and say it's for $100,000. But as I always explain to my students, you're not really getting $100,000 to spend on your program. You're getting $10,000 to spend on rent. You're getting $10,000 to hire a program director, $3,000 to spend on the program director's fringe benefits, et cetera, et cetera. And you have all these line items that you have to manage. And if you go over on one line item and you want to spend it on a different line item, you have to submit a budget modification. And then if you're not spending enough quickly enough, you have to ask for an extension on your grant. All of these things really have nothing to do with impact. It's all a means of holding the nonprofit accountable. And we, we hold them accountable through line item reporting, which, which really has nothing to do with impact. It's imposing costs on the nonprofit with no real benefit other than this is how we've decided that we're going to hold them accountable by limiting the discretion they have on how they spend the money we just gave them so we don't ask them to produce some impact we ask them to spend the money on particular lines and if they're not going to do it the way that they agree to they have to ask for permission if you have multiple contracts and multiple grants Now multiply that by however many times you have to do it. And none of them, by the way, are on the same fiscal year or the same fiscal period. And so that causes all sorts of problems as well.
0: Which ironically is generating more overhead because you have to manage all of that. It's like a a boss managing an employee. You have two Mm -hmm. ways you could manage it. You could say, here's what I expect you to get done, employee. You have these goals, you need these projects completed. I expect that you'll perform at this level go forth and do that thing mm-hmm. and then you check in at your performance review and said did you do that or it's like okay i'm expecting you to be in the office by eight o'clock your butt right. needs to be in the seat at 8 15 you should be checking your emails by nine o'clock like and if you think about it very few employees are going to enjoy that second way of operating but oftentimes managers default to it because it can be harder to define what success looks like for an employee
1: that's an excellent way of thinking about it. And for some reason, we have opted for the micromanager approach for nonprofits. And we don't even know if we're getting whatever it is we want out of the employee at this point for most of them. We just know that they're sitting in their seat at eight o'clock, answering emails by 830 and making a certain number of phone calls every day. In order to to report on those grants and contracts, it requires a fair amount, as you said, of overhead. It's infrastructure on things like financial accounting systems, financial reporting systems, people who understand how to do it. And those are rarely funded adequately or at all by these grants and contracts. Mm -hmm. And it becomes entirely frustrating for the people who actually do do that type of work in nonprofit finance offices, because it is in many ways viewed, and frankly, not entirely inappropriately as busy work that is just required of the funder. There's not a lot of discussion in finance offices, in nonprofit organizations, at least from my experience working in them, of talking about outputs, outcomes, or anything. It was about Making sure that shared expenses weren't over allocated across contracts. I mean, talk about not being important for impact for whatever the nonprofits were doing, but that's what the funders were concerned about. And so we have this system that inadequately funds overhead, but then the little overhead there is is used in such an unimportant and unimpactful way. Those dollars could be so much better used in creating systems for, measure, like I said, measuring service and linking it with financial data instead, or building databases so that you can evaluate programs for success rather than trying to do your 14th budget mod over the The last 12 months of your contract while you're waiting for it to be approved and not sure if you can spend the money and then you end up with too much money because you didn't know if you could spend, you know, these are these crazy things that happen in the nonprofit sector and none of it is related to doing whatever it is that the nonprofit is supposed to be doing. One of my friends and I once joked while I was working with nonprofits that an an odd financial skill set you have as a nonprofit financial manager is knowing vendors who will give you a backdated invoice. And it's true because if you need to spend on a contract or on a grant and you have money left over and you're going to lose it, you'd be better off getting a a backdated invoice for some supplies that you don't totally need. But at least you get the money that way. Like that is a worthless skill, but it is an actual <laughs> valuable skill set in right. many nonprofit organizations. And this is because we don't measure impact, we don't measure outcomes, and we have a system that is is wed to micromanaging line items as opposed to the big picture.
0: Absolutely. So we've talked about a lot of really heavy stuff here. If you're a nonprofit listening to this what could be something that you could do to start embracing this transition towards impact?
1: The first one may sound easy, but it's probably the hardest one, which is no longer embracing the notion of selling yourself based on your overhead ratio or your program ratio trying to figure out and trying to define what it is your organization does and start measuring it and using those to report on in your solicitations or in your grant making. Um, And if you are involved in networks with other nonprofit organizations, as many and most nonprofits are trying to bring your peers and colleagues along as well. I think all of that is the biggest, most important first step. I do not deny that it is a huge step. I mean, it's it's a culture shift. And if, if it were as easy as just changing something very small, it would be easy and would have happened already. Culture shifts are very difficult and they take time. You need to engage with the funders and some funders are more important than other funders, and trying to engage with the important funders would be where I would put my time. But then, as I said, if you can start spending your organization's efforts towards measuring outputs, measuring outcomes, trying to link it with your financial information, this is like a five-year program I'm laying out here, but, but I think these are things that, that organizations could be doing. That would make them ready for the changes that are starting to occur in the sector. I think doing these would help shift the culture, but it would also help your organization be situated within that shifting culture in a way to exploit, not in a negative way, the change in the funding environment that's already occurring.
0: Sort of ride the wave instead of get knocked over by the wave.
1: (laughs) That's a better way of putting it than exploit. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I like that challenge of saying this is something we could all do tomorrow, where we stop reporting what our overhead percentage is. You know, we just all agree. All right, we're not going to report that, and we are going to replace it with. And this is then where the challenge I think where a lot of them will come is we're going to replace it with an impact measure. Do we have an impact measure? And that then may start you on a much longer process. But I think that commitment to take down that overhead percentage and replace it with something, that's a big, powerful move.
1: I agree. I I, I think that is very powerful. And, and I think the sector, some more than others, but there are certain sectors that ought to lead. Not all, but many organizations in higher education have resources, especially compared to many social service nonprofits. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would be inappropriate to suggest that organizations that have more means ought to be leading this. Mm-hmm. So so asking organizations that have the resources and, and can help shape that culture may be the short term, not solution, but the first step anyway.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to share this insight. I think this is a great conversation for organizations to be having. It's certainly not going to be an easy one, but Just because it's not easy doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. In fact, as nonprofits, we exist to do hard things anyway, so we can embrace this challenge.
1: That is correct.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Thad Calabrese, Associate Professor of Public and Nonprofit Financial Management at NYU Wagner. I hope that you will consider taking on Dr. Calabrese's challenge to move away from metrics like our overhead ratio that don't actually align with who we want to be and what we want to do. Now I will point out that of course the federal government requires that we report this overhead ratio for tax purposes or whatever it is that it needs. But just because the federal government for some reason thinks that this is valuable doesn't mean that we have to use it when we're reporting to our stakeholders, to the public or that we have to use it in defining whether or not we think that we are doing good work. It's interesting that data can become so intertwined with how we define ourselves and our goals and our success, but really that's the truth. What we choose to measure drives what we pursue, and what we pursue, the actions that we take, do end up defining who we are as organizations. So let's try to be as deliberate as possible in choosing the things that we measure, that we report on, that we stake our success to, so that those metrics can support us and incentivize us and encourage us to pursue things that will have the biggest impact and achieve the most success in the areas that we are trying to change. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, may I ask that you share it with someone that you think will help? The more that we can start having these conversations about data, the more that we can make analytics approachable and part of our everyday conversations, the more impactful we can be. You have been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Merakinos, an analytics education, consulting, and data services company devoted to helping nonprofits and social enterprises amplify their impacts and thrive through data. You can learn more at Merakinos.com, M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.